we're doing a whole bunch of because obviously this is we'll probably punch this one out pretty quick with what? the current events the podcast well mate it depends what you want to go into it's been two hours breaking down what's going on at the moment because like just in that in the veteran space with everything's going on with the Royal Commission and yeah well where do you want to start <laughs> from the start mate yeah I mean, it's, where do you, yeah. it's, I mean, we're obviously on a podcast and you're, you're here to tell your story yeah. and then it'd be good to hear it from the beginning all the way through to what your experience was like when you got out. Yeah, right. And then... Well, I, I, you know, mate, I, I, the podcast, I'll just, I'll, without regurgitating the same stuff for people listening to this, that listen to me do, you know, Bram Conley's podcast, mate, I basically grew up in country New South Wales and Forbes. Um, it's a shearer there after I left school and then I joined the army. Spent a little bit of time in Brisbane, posted up here to Tuara, and I spent most of my time up here in Tuara, apart from, you know, you ride the, the pineapple down in Singleton for two years, come back here as a snake. Done all the trips with Tuara that I could, that I liked, you know, that fell into my lap. And then, yeah, I discharged sort of after about 14 years. So I got a medical discharge out. It was a bit of a cluster, you know, if you look back sort of six years from where the situation is now, it's improved like dramatically. And I say it to a lot of people, if anyone, should be able to have the right to sit down and flog DVA with a stick, it should be me, because I had a shocking time with it. So it took a while to sort it all out. I ended up at a VRB to have everything sorted out and then it settled. And then after it settles, you, you know, you speak to blokes that have had a battle with DVA, DVA after it settles, their life becomes much more fucking simple and a lot more placid. Mm. Your anger levels come down. You're not as anxious, you know. I had a wife and a daughter at the time, so she's obviously very worried about it. But, you know, it settled and I just, you know, seen the improvements in the system go along over that time and i won't say it's any more user friendly i think what happened is people are sl- excuse me people are slowly learning how the system works i think it was just this mentality that the department of veteran affairs you know a mob of assholes they hate us they want us all dead well in every group of 100 people you're going to get two wankers so chances are there's going to be a couple of wankers working. It's the army, isn't it? It's yeah. like if you see boys yeah. in your platoon, like ninety, like one percent of the army makes ninety nine percent of the admin. Exactly, right? yeah. So, but then again, I've seen the side of it where it saves lives. So, last year I went down to Brisbane to help one out, help a mate out, and he was, you know, in a bit of drama. He's doing really well now, thank God. Um, so I literally went from his house into DVA, and they had within less than twenty four hours had him. His white card literally done on the spot, like literally right in front of me. And his emergency veteran payment started within 24 hours. So to sit back and say, nah, they're fucking, you know, they're shit and they're doing this. Yep, there are faults in the system. There's no doubt about it. But every big system's going to have that. But it doesn't help. And honestly, I don't give a shit who I offend when I say this. So this will be the first thing, all right? There's four problems with DVA. The four big problems of DVA. And it's got nothing to do with DVA. Okay, number one, shit advocates. Yeah. All right? <laughs> shit advocates who go and do an RSL tip course or whatever they call it now. I had someone email me a thing from the advocacy course they run here in town. I'm not even going <laughs> to spit the name of the place out where they run it. It won't come across my lips. But send me off, could you have a look at this for me, this questioning? I'm, I'm trying to qualify to become an advocate. Yeah, good on you, you know. Good for you. And I read through this thing and I sent it back to her. I said, I can't help you with any of that simply for the fact that I don't know any of the answers. And I can tell you right now, none of that shit has ever helped me get a claim over the line with DVA. Right, so shit advocacy, shit advocacy courses, and advocates advocates that have done a course and still aren't competent because the old tip course was not competency-based. You just done it on a weekend 
you turned up now, go off and help people with their claims. Bullshit, you could screw someone's life. And it's, insur- up. And it's insurance company. Yeah, it's insurance company, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but so that's one, all right? And sort of going into that, an advocate that's not willing to ask questions. You're not sure. Like, if it, I don't call myself an advocate, I never would. I don't like the name. I'm just a person that helps other blokes out. But if I don't know, you ask. Because if you ask when you don't know, you learn. Mm. So, and that's what I've done for the last three and a half years. I've asked and asked and learned and learned. So I've gone. So that's the first problem. The second problem is lazy shit feeding veterans who have this that'll do mentality with their claims. This is your fucking claim. So why have a lazy that'll do attitude and put the onus back on DVA to accept liability for your claim? It's very simple. Prove you're in the you're a military member with your proof of service, your ADO, you know, your ADO service record long. Prove you're in the army, prove your ID, prove your service-related injury, and you do that, you know, mental health with a psychiatrist report, physical injuries, MRIs, and show how it happened. That's that's basically a claim. So the laziness within the veteran space of not being willing to lead your own claim, you know, and lead your own recovery, that's two. Number three is, and I really, really hope Tomo's mate Paul Murray gets to watch this because I tend to agree a lot with what Paul Murray says on Sky TV except for one thing. And I heard Paul talk about it last year on one of his Sky TV things where he said, and I'm only paraphrasing here, it's not verbatim or quoting, but it went along the lines of, it's not as if these men and women from the ADF go overseas and serve and come home and look to rip the, rip the system off. You're fucking damn right some of them do. Yeah. So number three, lying, fraudulent assholes who are making stories up, clogging up the DVA system with their bullshit non-fiction war or their fictional war stories and making it hard for everyone else around that has a real story and a real problem. So that's three. And number four is a combination of any, four, any three of those. And if you can fix those four problems, that takes a whole lot of it out. Good advocacy of people that know what they're doing. Do your paperwork and your administration properly. If we sent something across to a company or battalion headquarters and it wasn't done properly, it'd come back looking like, you know, your kids drew all over it with a red crayon. Why is that not mentality not taken when you're preparing your own stuff with DVA? You know, take the time to do it properly. You don't do it properly. It gets sent back to you and all of a sudden your anxiety and your stress levels go through the roof. Mm. Of course, of course it's gonna get knocked back. If you can't tell the story correctly, or you're bullshitting, and you only need to go on Facebook and have a look at some of the rubbish that's posted on Facebook. I've never seen so many war fighting blanket counters and mate, there must be a hundred blanket counters in this ADF that are snipers with the SAS. They've got to be that down. Yeah. We, we were sitting there and I was, we were like, okay, There must be ten thousand snipers in the ADF. Yeah, you know. or, or everywhere. Yeah. Vietnam era machine gunners mm. and lead scouts and machine yeah. gun cooks, mate. There's yeah. machine gun cooks oh. here, everywhere. You know, so if and that that's really and it sets a bad precedence for us because it gives everyone a bad name. You know, and the more whinging that goes on, the more people are going to get sick of us eventually. Because and I've said it before, you could get every veteran that's got out of the army and say, "Listen, I know you're struggling, mate. What we're going to do as a government is give you all a million dollars." Maybe two. Yeah. It's not good enough. Yeah, two no, million. No. We're going to give you a million dollars. Here's your check for a million dollars, Max. Yeah, sweet, man. That's all right. Here's yours, Adrian. Fuck, you want cash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's the attitude. It'll never be enough. I don't want to get taxed on it. Put it through yeah. the Cayman Islands yeah. and then I'm not going to work. That's you know. the thing. You could, yeah. you could get a hunt. You're never going to keep these people happy. Mm. And it's so infuriating because the amount of blokes that come through my door that are in tears or they've got their wife or their girlfriend with them or, who, or whoever it is, their kids. And I'm like, and I know because... 
I have a very strict left and right of arc about the people I let through my front door to do this stuff. So I pretty much know everyone personally, or it's someone that's referred on to me that I know is genuine. So to see that these constant flow of these genuine blokes that are, you know, really, really struggling, and then going online and reading some of the bullshit that's posted on there, I'm just like, oh, you know, like you're ready to piff your phone against the wall, you know, mm -hmm. but what do you do? You know, I, I purely stay in those groups so that if I can pick a bat, bit of bad information up or if I see a mate on there asking questions, I'll quickly email and say, hey, give me a call tomorrow or something like I, that. I had to get off it, man. Yeah. I, I couldn't do it. I was yeah. like, now nah, I'm off. Yeah. I can't do it. There's anymore. a couple of people on there, a couple of blokes on there. I won't mention any of their names, but there's a couple of blokes on there that are really, really in the know with a lot of stuff and I've learned a lot of bits and pieces off them and asked them questions. So... That's another good reason, as I said, if you don't, you don't ask, you never improve your knowledge of the, of, the, of the system. So, you know, if that could be fixed, there's, there's a great deal of, of stress and worry taken away from the veteran community, but it's on us. That's not DBA's fault that advocates aren't doing their job properly, veterans are lazy, and, and people are full of shit telling lies, you know. And I'm not saying that the people that are fraudulent and wannabes and, you know, shove them all up on ANZMI, and I'm not saying that at all. There's probably a lot of them that are actually really struggling mentally, but they're in a spot where they think men mental health is a competition. I'm, I don't deserve or I'm not allowed to have depression or anxiety or adjustment disorder because I never left the wire or because I didn't have that job. So for me, in order to justify how I feel, I've got to make a story up, mm. you know? So, and it's, that shouldn't be happening. And that's again on us, you know, whether you're, whether you're alienating people and, you know, we, we all had, you know, infantry soldiers, we all had the old grunt pogue mentality. We all did. It was, you know, in most cases, it's friendly band and that's just how it went. So that's, for me, that's, you know, I don't like that. I've never been like that. I've done all my subject courses and all the people from, you know, non-infantry calls and non-combat calls have all been great people. I'm still friends with a lot of them now. I'm grateful for it. But, you know, you tap away that mentality of that us and them and you can kind of, for me, I can kind of pick through now after, you know, in the beginning, I wouldn't have known. If I had just opened my doors, I could have had who knows what through my doors telling me what. Sitting in my own kitchen bench going, right, some war fighting blanket counter that was a recon scout sniper with Delta Force or something like that. You know, you don't know. So, And that's why I stick to the way it is because I know everyone is genuine that comes through the door. And it's unfortunate. Like the, the silent... It's a noisy majority, a uh, noisy, noisy minority, minority yeah. that, are, that are causing all the but problems. But it's the same everything. In the everything it's a noisy majority. minority. It is, yeah. yeah. But it's a, the silent majority just happens to also correlate with combat core males, and they're the ones that are in yeah, the most drama right. mental, yeah, with yeah. mental health and stuff. Yeah. But those three problems you brought up, they kind of feed into each other, and then like so I said, com number four combination of three. Yeah, because if you've got if you got number well number two in yours was like not taking ownership for yourself, like just thinking it's a fucking half-ass effort, and someone else is going to deal exactly with it. Exactly right, mate. That's the big problem. That like the biggest problem that I can see is that no one wants to own their own situation no. when they get it, and unfortunately, it comes from people joining the army real young when they've always yeah. been straight from school into a job where they've been told what to do and someone else is doing admin yeah. for them, getting out and going, oh fuck it. I'll just someone else. Will, I'll do a half ass effort, and then DBA can sort up, me out yeah. for the rest and of my and life. And it's terrible, and it's going to set you up badly with them. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So it's 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 not the way that they should be doing it. And I've always said, it, you know, part of your your transition out, you know, what, why isn't the you know without knocking any transition officers or transition programs, but it literally take you twenty minutes to electronically pump up on the screen, hey, this is, I don't, it might happen, I don't know. This so is a, Matt, yeah. So now happen. that's yeah, what I'm I'm in the process of yep. discharging from the army now. Yeah. You're not allowed, so 
put all your claims in. Yep. So that, that I mean, you can go to the there's a DBA advocate on base. Yeah, yeah. But all your injuries until they are accepted by DBA, yeah, not the monetary one. Right? Yeah, you, you can't until it's yeah. accepted. You're not getting out. Yeah. So what, what I was meaning is like, I understand that, but what I was meaning was like in your transition seminars is a, is a claim form put up for soldiers or whoever it is getting out. So hey, this is what a DBA claim form looks like. Here's a quick soldiers five. I'm going to break it down for you. Don't get wrapped around the axles about all the pretty boxes and what you need to put in. Here's your personal details, like every form you've ever filled out in the army 10,000 times. Here's your injury and disease sheet. This is what you need to put in here. And this is where your doctor needs to sign. This is where you attach this. This is where you put this. There's a quick heads up on the way out the door. You know, so down the track, oh, geez, my knees are playing up. I remember dislocating my kneecap playing footy or, you know, whatever, whatever the hell it is. They've got, you know, a rough idea how to do it as opposed to like sitting at a computer at nine o'clock at night going, I don't put a DVA claim in. Where do I start? Mm. You know, and it's, it's, a bad, it's a bad thing. And, you know, I know everyone's rattling on about this Royal Commission and all that. And, and as I said, I don't, don't think the Royal Commission is needed. I said, and I've said it all along, there's only deviating need to do a couple of simple things. Number one is fix their website. Well, their website's very hard to navigate. If I, you were around here the other day when we were looking at stuff, if I said to you, go in and find me the SOP for, you know, thoracic spondylosis or bruxism, most people look at you and go, hmm? Mm. Right, and that's that's not good. It needs to be user-friendly. It's just user-friendly and interface. You know, yeah, exactly. So. They can, they can, and it's not a lot. You don't need to rebuild your whole website. That specific part where you're looking to correlate an injury in doctor speak to what the DVA SOP is, or then, yeah, have that a little bit more user friendly. Tidy the claim form up a little bit. It doesn't need to be, it's, it's a bit, you know, I think it's clunky, you know, even now after filling in hundreds and hundreds of them. So if you do that, make it a little bit easier for people to find the information and navigate around, and not just the veteran or the soldier, but a lot of times people's wives or, brothers or mums and dads are doing it for them because they're, you know, they, they might not be mentally ready to do it or they not might be able to, they might have the patience to do it. So they tidy that up, make it more user-friendly, then it's going to take away a lot, of the, a lot of the drama that people are having, you know. So this whole rattling, you know, I really feel for, you know, especially all the mums that have lost a son or anyone, wife that's lost their husband to suicide, but I don't think a Royal Commission is going to fix that. You know, like there needs to be the right... The right questions need to be asked to the right people, and all Royal Commission is going to do is waste about 150 million dollars, make a whole lot of lawyers rich, and it's going to take about 18 months. And all it's going to do is fault find and not offer up any solutions. It's going to take two, 18 months, two years to find what's the perceived problems, without any any fixes or improves in that area. They come down the track with all the the roundtables and the specialists and the experts in the veteran community that fix them. So, you know, I, don't, I don't see it being a help that way. I know I've spoke to it many, many times with other people. My opinion on it is that it needs to be a permanent thing. It needs to be like, whether it's a government body or an independent body, but a permanent thing that looks after veterans issues. It's got its own boss, you know, and that's what it does. So, cause you know, if you, if you look at it, there's a lot of questions to be asked about a lot of things in the army. I was one of the soldiers that was, oh, I can tell you right now, you know, I've got three kids up there and I swear on those lives of those kids. We were told, you will not deploy to East Timor if you do not take this yeah. mesmethylcon medication. We didn't know any better. It's a malaria drug. I'm just going to stop me, me head exploding from getting malaria. I'm going to take it. There's a lot of questions to be answered about that. You know, I, I don't think it's affected me, but I've got a lot of mates who, you know, and I've, I'm actually emailing a couple of them back and forth now, doing my best to what I can to 
to write statements up for when I was posted down in Brisbane when we were we were ordered onto the trial. So, and I can, and if you think about it logically, I don't know if you've ever done the research on it. I sat down and I'm like, what? Who who were the, the kingpins back in 2000, 2001, 2002 when the Mefla control go, was going on? And have a look at the who's who and names that mm. were there. You know, you're looking at there's two governor generals involved, Cosgrove and Hurley. You got David Morrison involved. You got Caligari, Campbell, you know, there's a lot of big heavy hitters that were in and around the hierarchy in the army when that trial was going on. One of those blokes must be able to say, I was ordered by such and such that I had to get this going. Who told you to do it? Oh, it was such and such. You should be able to follow that chain back to who give that the green light. Why hasn't it been fucking done? You know, it's simple detective work. Mm. And all of a sudden they've had all these inspector general inquiries into the ADF for Mefloquin and they've got all statements and everything. No one's bothered to go, right, you were the CO of one and two RO. Who told you to do it? Oh, it would have been the brigade commander. Right, who told the brigade commander? Oh, I was div- divisional commander. Who told him? And then who told him? And then you get to who told people. So, you know, there's a lot of questions to be answered there and I don't think that would be included in the Royal Commission. That's my biggest fear is if it goes in the road of a Royal Commission, there is a lot of questions to be answered. There's huge questions. Where are the answers coming from? Exactly. Right? So everyone's blaming... The, everyone who's ever lost anyone to suicide, outside of the boys who have lost mates, the, the people, there's a group of people that are driving for a Royal Commission. Oh, yeah. And I've been fucking personally brought into it. Someone trying yeah, to start wars on, on social yeah. media. Just I missed it the other day. I was furious. It started off very civilly. Yeah. It did. And I tried to keep it civil and just throw around information, but then it gets angry. And the, the, the reason being is the people driving for a Royal Commission. Yeah. They're coming from a place of pain. Yeah, it's a, not, lot a lot of emotion involved. There's a lot of hurt emotion, in which yeah. is understandable. Like, like, yeah, absolutely. They want they want answers as to what happened, but they don't want to hear them if it doesn't fit it with doesn't the narrative that's already constructed. Couldn't agree anymore, mate. And at the moment, the narrative is that it's all defence and DBA's fault. Yep. No one wants to look at anywhere outside of that yep. arc, and no one wants to ask the young diggers to come to the table and, and ask them the questions. No. Go, what's your response to you this? You go and have a look at a, a young veterans forum and have a look at the average age. I, I, I seen one last year and I and I put a few comments on different things and oh, people come at me from left, right and centre. I was like, yeah. you're the people I'd expect to come at me because I'm right. Yeah. You know, your, your younger veteran forum, you know, and there's a, there's a, and as you were talking about the, the loud minority, there's an over-representation in every, every round table or every think tank or every group of what people want to call veteran experts of the minorities. I don't see a really good, strong, robust representation of number one, the younger veteran community, and number two, like broad brush stroke, the combat core veteran community. Mm. You know, so the great majority of casualties are gonna come out of the combat corps, if not just about all of them. Why is that not the majority representation? So you take the people that are in the most violent situations, the most danger, and you fix the system for them, you're going to fix it for everyone else as well. They're aiming lowball. We're going to get all this advice and and all this input of people who have never stepped foot out the wire, let alone got sand between your toes. And you're going to be solving a problem for my soldiers who I asked to do horrible things or asked to do, you know jump over that aqueduct or break into the green zone for me or get out and clear that road of IEDs. All these young men that I've asked to go and do all these horrible things don't have a representation because I don't have a university degree or you know I. I don't have the ability to sit down and play nice with people. Mate, I don't want to play nice with people when it comes to this. And, there's, and the, two, the two arguments, mate, that I've got, uh, you know, number one is uh, we talk about 
how many Australians, so so not army, just Australians in general suffer from mental health in their life? It's two thirds, right? So yeah. we're talking 30%. And then you start talking about guys in Fallujah, oh, right? The Battle of yeah. Fallujah. The average PTSD rate out of Fallujah is 11%. Yeah. The Australian army's PTSD rate is what? 30? 25. 25%. It's not accurate. No. So, I mean, are people just coming out going, I've got anxiety and depression and I can monetize it yeah. because I've been in the army. I don't know. Number two that I was talking about. Or number three I was talking about. Yeah. People that align. It's a great, it's a gravy train. It's a generous system. And that's yeah. why this, we, we, we saw a gap when, when Birdie killed himself. This is what really thrust Swiss 8 into being. We yeah. all would sit around drinking beers and solving the world's problems. And then when Birdie passed away, so I was like, nah, we are doing something about this. Yeah. We need to represent young veterans and young combat corps dudes. And that's what some of the uh, misrepresentation about Swiss 8. It is... It's for it's for veterans. It's for everyone, but it's it's got it's a focus. centric around yeah. the, the combat core. And why shouldn't it? And, and you know, and you know the thing. What what pisses me off about it, and, and you know, be prepared. You're going to have people come at you for that fact, and those people can fuck off. Why shouldn't there be an organisation that's centered around that? You should be allowed to do that. Encompass everyone else as well. You should be allowed to do that and do it with no shame. And no forth, no ill thought about it, but people will come at you for that. Oh, you can't do that. It's you got to you're dividing the veteran community, or as opposed to it already being divided as shit now because you've got people that are, you know, really really devastated and hurt people that have lost family members, whether it's in battle or through suicide. They're they're driven by pain and heartbreak, and they want answers and want it fixed. And then you've got the other people over here who know exactly what's going on in the system. Here's some simple fixes that will get this moving. Get the, get the mud off people's boots and get them moving forward a little bit quicker. But you're so focused on, on the emotion and the heartbreak of it. And I'm not saying that we should be forgetting about these people. Not at all. You know, I worked my ass off to help out a, a lovely girl last year to make sure her war widow's pension went through. For her. It was an absolute honour to help her. Definitely not forget about them. They should be in the forefront, front, forefront of our mind all the time. But passion, emotion and feeling doesn't beat facts and, and, and accurate knowledge of what's going on within the system. It never will. We're going to be respectful of it, as always, but the, the actual facts of what the problem is with the system, which I don't think is a lot. It's a lot of simple administrational fixes and a lot of attitude change within our space, and it'll all mesh together and work a lot better. Birdie's, birdie's advocate yeah. fucked it, mate. Yeah. And, and that was the biggest one. Yeah. They, there was incidents in his DBA claims that he wasn't there. Benny Renato got blown up. Birdie wasn't there. Yeah. I mean, Paul Warren's sick of hearing it, mate. It comes there must up have been 20,000 people and there. that's when... the big problem, mate. The, the, the Remember narrative talking the about has been driven by people close to him who want, had nothing to do that's with his good. military life, who know they, they proved it in that seven-minute fucking doco that came out yeah. last week. We all know who. That they had no clue what his job that's was. Yeah. The description of what he did overseas was completely inaccurate. Yeah. Wasn't and that's, that's saying mate. that we're, they're yeah. the noisy ones, but yeah. so government and politicians yeah. turn to them and go, hey, we've got to silence them, we'll keep them happy. That's, that's where we've got to fix this, this competitive fact with the mental health. You don't need to, to make yourself feel worse about feeling bad. You get, I, I call, I, I, when I had the privilege of going up to 5RR a couple of years ago to talk to 5RR blokes, and I spoke to them about it, and I called it the double downer. You're already feeling down, and now you're going to kick yourself in the ass about feeling down, this double downer. And I think when people get in that frame of mind, they're like, oh, you know, fucking my mate over here, he was in a, you know, a 10-hour firefight and he's okay or he's got anxiety and depression and, and I, I feel the same, but that never happened to me. So I've got to quickly come up with a story to justify how I feel. So 
if that whole mentality can, mentality can be quashed, where people don't need to glorify what they've done, be proud of your service. If you're not feeling well, fuck. Mm. Put your hand up and get some help. People deal with trauma differently. Exactly. You know, if you know Adrian and I were standing next to each other and our feet were super glued to a floor and the, the room was filling with water, I would drown and he wouldn't. I would deal with that trauma a lot worse than what he did purely because he's taller than me. Just like if they were dropping house bricks out of the sky and they were only coming this high, I would live and he would die of a brain trauma because he's taller than me. So people are going to deal with circumstances different yeah. just because that, that's how life is. So you don't need to fabricate a story. I don't need to... I had to turn the TV off last year. I'm not going to say that, but a guy who is no way, was once again, there must be 20,000 snipers, had told his wife that he was a sniper and was outside on sniping tasks with the special forces, but he wasn't even in the army. He was in a, one of the other services. I don't know anyone that does that. And that's, you know, and so, mate, and that's the thing, you, don't, you shouldn't have to do that, mate. You know, if you're feeling so depressed or anxious or, or whatever it is, fuck, you don't need to hide or make a story up. Just go and get the frigging help. So, you, you know, it's, it's too late for that bloke and his family now, but you don't, don't need to do it. Just reach out. I, I help a lot of people. A lot of my friends who are non-combat call, I've given them heaps of advice, heaps of help. You know, they're, 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 a lot of them have just, but I've been in the wrong place at the wrong time and I've seen something I really didn't want to see and I wasn't prepared for and it's hurt me. That's it. You know? And the, the thing that I've noticed is like, I've, I've met, I've got a lot of friends that have been in car accidents, that sort yeah. of thing. And they're like, oh, I've, you know, I've got, I've suffered a lot of trauma, but you know, it's nothing compared to what you have. And but, that's a mate, yeah. it's, a, it's, I need a smack you know, in the ear for it, you know, like, mate, stop it. It's, it's not even comparable. You, to you, that's yeah. your thing. Yeah. To me, this is my thing. Yeah. You know, my wife's a funeral Be, director. Oh, yeah. you couldn't pay me enough money to do that oh, job. Yeah. And she, she loves the job. She loves helping the families and, and everything. Well, I was like, I, I don't need to do it. Got out of the army, so I don't have to be around that anymore, or see that anymore, you know. Mm. Like, and that's just a, something that she's passionate about, you know. And she's the the half of a cent in the hundred percent of people that love that line of work and are passionate about that line of work. But as I said, people deal with trauma differently. The average person walks into a funeral home and probably fall out the door wide as a ghost. Whereas you know, Mel, Mel's so passionate about her job, as with all the other people that work with, they absolutely love it. You know, so and once again, that's people deal with trauma differently you shouldn't have to explain it fabricate stories that it's going, you're going to get it's going to, at the end of the day you're going to get found out mm. there's people are going to lag mm. you in or spit you in you're tarnishing your reputation you're tarnishing the reputation of the people around you and if you've done it bad enough you're going to get yourself a spot on ANZMI and that's the last thing you want for someone that you know mm. so and that's what that mess is that's what's killing the, 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 the reputation of the veteran community now it's, it's slowly but surely turning into one that the public's going to look at us like they're just turn? fucking whinges they're fucking whinges mate yeah, and that's why I don't want to lose mate I, yeah. I, I thought veteran used to be a badger but like it, honestly I was a young 17 year old kid I yeah. watched all the bloody war movies mate yeah. I wanted to be a silly eyed fucking veteran mate yeah. but at the moment we just come. it just feels to me like we're just coming across as whinging and when when is the point where we just become that noisy group of fucking whinges yep and you lose the faith of the Australian people. You turn up to March and Anzac Day Parade and there's six people there. Yeah. Six people are just like, yeah. you know And what? it's the young, it's the young yeah. boys now that, that might not get overseas or because yeah. everything's dialing back. Yeah. And they sit there and they're like, well, I don't get to go to DVA. Why do I get to go to DVA? Because I never went overseas. Yeah, like, they're, they're the and ones not, that are hurt, mate. Exactly. They're the ones. They're and they're the ones that you're going to be worried about in six, seven, exactly. eight, nine years. And that's because they, they're, they're going to think that they haven't done enough or they haven't... Bullshit. And that, that's what's going to start hurting people. Is, that's, again, this competition... Oh, I can't, I can't, I'm not allowed to feel like that because oh, this didn't happen to me. 
bullshit. You don't, you, you're allowed to feel that way or you, you don't need a reason to feel that way. Yeah. If that's how you're feeling, if you're depressed or you're anxious or, or whatever it is or you're lacking sleep, fuck, just go and find out about it. You don't need to necessarily have something traumatic happen. It might be, you don't know. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Just I mean, go and do it. It stops that's people. That's we built this thing. Yeah. Like, like you said, it, it is... It's, it is for everyone, but it is targeted at a group of people who are almost being forgotten about and the ones that are in a higher risk demographic yeah. kill themselves. Um, and, and we're just sick of fucking people whinging and, and blaming the outwards yeah. without going. So we're trying to build a, a concept that goes, all these young boys come forward, combat cause, yes, it is kind of built by dudes from combat cause, but it's built by dudes who just want to fucking take ownership. If they fucked yeah. up or if they're, if, they're, if something's going wrong, they're not just going fuck. Blame everyone else. Blame so, DBA. So blame I think you mentioned the us. word before was accountability. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I, I, part of the thing that I do, and it's with every person that comes through my front door, is I will take you from the beginning and I will get you to the end. But I am not going on my own. I, I will not make your doctor's appointments for you. I will not chase up your medical reports. I will tell you everything you need to do. If there's a, a doctor's appointment you've got to go to, and you, you're, you know, oh, fuck, I really don't, just ask me, I'll come with you. But by God, you not go to that doctor's appointment because, oh, I can't go outside. I'm like, bullshit. No way. Then you've got to be willing to lead your own recovery, lead your own rehabilitation. And if you're not willing to do that, no one will be ever be able to get any better. And the biggest success stories that I've ever had, the blokes or a couple of girls too that have come through with me and have gone, you know, oh, how do I do this? And I went, I will lay you the blueprint out. I will sit here with you, I'll fill your first lot of claims out and then I'm going to sit with you and show you how to do it yourself so that we expand that slowly but surely we're expanding this group of people that know how to put a claim together well, mm. know how to deal with comms super well, know who to ring at DBA and ask to get to the right people. So it's this ever-expanding group of knowledgeable people that know how to, the system works and know how to get things done. But as I said, I'm not doing it for you. I will get you to the end but you're going to do all the hard work in the middle because you've got to be responsible. I will go to the doctor's appointments. I've been out to separation health exams with folks. I've been in to see GPs with people. I've, I've rang doctors for people to, to try and sort people appointments out. Phone calls are fine, but you've got to get off your ass and get to your own MROs, get to your own psych appointments, go and see the GP and check in. You know, and they're the people that have the most success because come back accountability. Mm. They're accountable for their own recovery. They're leading their own rehabilitation. They're 95% of the time they're going to move on and do well. Mm. The ones that don't are the ones that go, oh, I'm not going to a shopping mall because someone's going to stab me in the back. Well, okay, all right. But you don't need to hide away from the world. Go to a smaller shop. Try a smaller shop first. Try going to a smaller shop with a friend. Whatever it is, you can't just hide away with you know, this cloud of mental confusion over you and, and not try and attempt to push forward. Use your friends. Use your veteran, your veteran support networks, and get out. And you know, so that exposure, you know. Oh, that, mate, exposure therapy is the number one yeah. fucking most proven pathway yeah. to overcoming yeah. any kind of fucking yeah. mental health issue. And at the moment, instead of, and this is another reason why, like, it's almost a forgotten group of people. At the moment, that even though the sites know exposure therapy is the best, the best therapy, we're still throwing around words like don't trigger people yeah. and, and and give them a safe space. Yeah. And all that's doing is wrapping people in cotton wool and going, don't 
don't try and use exposure therapy. Don't yeah. expose yourself to the thing that's a problem and try yeah. and work through it. Just sit in the corner in your safe space and, and we won't trigger you. Yeah. And that kind of that kind of attitude and terminology, mate, you get any of the boys from the battalion oh. and you start throwing around safe trigger space warnings. and trigger warning, they are going to be, that stigma, mate, just gets bigger and bigger because oh. they're going to be like, fuck this mental health stuff. Yep. I can't deal with that trigger warning shit. Yeah. I just want to get someone to tell me. And I had a good chat with one of the boys' um, brothers the other day. He was in... Um, the army for like 30 years or something got out with a psych degree and he's like that shit is just alienating people to death it's driving stigma to the point where no one wants to come forward but it's politically it's not sexy to say trigger warnings need to fuck off out of the conversation and this what's the other dirty word in the in the 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 other two safe spaces safe Safe spaces and and assistance dogs mate They're yeah. fucking amazing. Yeah. Systems but have worked, mate, but everybody wants them. And 90% of the people who are chasing trying to get them just want a free dog and they yeah. oh, don't, don't yeah. actually need it. Parade yeah. around work with an assi- and, and then guys are like young dudes who need them and you, and you, you fucking know oh, the know, dudes mate. that need them, mate. Yeah. And and they're just like, I am not going, I'll go buy a dog. I was telling you about the bloke. Yeah. I was trying to help him get an assistant dog and he had no luck. And I said, mate, when we go and find you one for the pound of the RSPCA. It does, does it need to be trained? You're going to take it, take your dog to the shopping mall, or you're going to take it to you know Castle Town or Willows or Stocklands? No, no, I just I can you know just want a dog. Let's go get a dog. And this is and so the, like and this is yeah. where this Talk is a good, dog. Love yeah. dog. Dog goes with him everywhere. This yeah. is the segue, man. I don't know people, and 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 I just want to bring up your story in a sec, and and yours as well. Is that I don't know a whole lot of people in the Australian Army, especially the infantry boys, who have been in that much shit, and there's some boys who have been in some shit that can't go into a shopping center without a dog. Like yeah. if, if you are to that point, you probably need to be in a private clinic. Yeah. Hmm. Because um, you got your MG, what, with the, with the Brits, didn't you? Yeah. So I've never needed a dog, mate. Nah. You know, I, I had my things that I didn't like to be around when I got home. You know, I didn't like, couldn't work out why I didn't want to touch a black plastic bag when I got home. Because that's where, you know, I didn't want to, didn't want to put in, I went and got different colored bin liners for two years. Because yeah. I just like, oh, Playing black plastic bags. Last time I had one of them in my hand, it was all the bits and pieces, you know. I'm, I'm out of that. <laughs> so, you know, I had my thing, you know, it sounds dumb. I was like, you know what? Yeah, yeah. That's a legit thing. You know, like, yeah, and that, I didn't make it, I didn't think it was a big deal. So I was like, you know what? Fuck, I'll, I'll get over that later. I'll just, I'll get some yellow ones for the time yeah. being. So yeah. I'll just use yellow bin liners, you know. So I had my things that I didn't like, you know, like my, because it had come home, there would have been things that would have pissed you off. And that's part and parcel of going away living like a savage with 60 fucking blokes you come home and you know there's just the little things give you the shits in the world you know other people's first world problems you know you might have been you know I think when we went back in Timor in 2006 a lot of people don't really talk we went back it's a big combination of 1RR and 2RR and 3RR Battle Group Faithful I mean what what a great first four weeks of an operation it was fucking it's not the best fun I've ever had in the army but no showering you know it was just wait for the afternoon storm to come in nude up, soap on a string around your neck, wash, get dressed, you know? Like, and it was 30, 40, 50, 60 blokes all doing the same thing. So the first four, five, six weeks, it was, it was unreal. And we were all living grubby and dirty and, you know, and it was to the point where I think it was, um, it was a CO3R at the time. Was, I thought he was a really nice fellow. Mick Mumford, I think his name was. He'd come up to see us at a water tower above Dilly. And we <laughs> were waiting. We were waiting in a line to go onto the. I can't remember. If it was the manure or the canimbla, whatever the shit was, out posted off the sea to go on another shower. And it was after about six weeks. And remember the old school body armor? You know, it used to have the yeah. bulldog or the clip on the side. You lifted ours up, and it was black as my shirt and stink. 
So we come out and he spoke to us for about five minutes and had a reasonably weird look on his face if he watches this. My, my apologies, Mick, for diving in. But he kind of <laughs> turned around and walked away a bit. And the RSM, I think, was a oh, big film at Farlane. Come on over and said, yeah, like, you know, we'll get you on the ship as quick as we can. And and then the CR3R come back and he goes, I'm sorry, fellas. He goes, I don't mean to be rude, but I've got to get out of here. I literally can't stand being around you at the moment. You are absolutely putrid. I could smell your mouth. <laughs> so he said... Okay, and we're like, so, well, there's nothing we can do about it. We're, we're you know, literally last on in the line. We're Delta Company, whatever we were. So we were a bit down the bottom of the march in order to go. She goes, you will be on an in and showered within the next 18 hours. And by God, we were, mate. We marched onto that ship with the CO, or the, no, with the Padre from 2RR. Just, as I said, grotty, random, dirty blokes walk on and some, some Navy dude's like, oh, here comes the stench, you know. And I've never heard language come out of a Padre's mouth like I did. Yeah, yeah. He stood this dude up on his tippy toes, had the, the captain of that ship come down and that whole ship washed our clothes for us. <laughs> we didn't have any spare clothes. I walked around a pair of thongs and a schmar wrapped around my waist like a loincloth for about 14 hours. So, you know, but that's, that's just how it was. You know, you go away and you do those things. You live an incredibly different hostile life for however long it is. So everyone, when they come back, is going to have little things that irritate him, but you can't like just put your hand up in, in the air and say, Hey, no, you know, no doing that around me, you know, do you know where I've just come back from? No, that, that's bullshit mentality, you know. Like, if you've got little bugbears to deal with, them, then you let I, you know, I just just let the people know around me if I, if I want to go home, I want to go home, I've had enough, it's too noisy, or like, you know, mm. I, just, I just had enough, I want to go home, you know, I've had enough to drink, or if I stay any longer, I'm going to end up in a blue, or I'm going to end up drinking too much, and making an ass out of myself, so. But I think that's up to the individual to know you. I don't like using the word, but know your trigger or whatever it is. If you've got them, the things that roll you up and piss you off, then you don't necessarily need to hide away from them. You've got to confront them at some stage. You know, I use black plastic bags now, so <laughs> good again. Obviously, sort my shit out at some stage. The, so. the assistance bags, yeah, yeah, yeah. assistance so, bags, yeah, assistance <laughs> bags. Someone to come out and change my bin liners for me. So. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect example of what people do get triggered by shit. But yeah. now that's a dirty word because people are throwing it around every time you walk yeah. into a, a seminar or whatever held by a, a government organisation oh, and they've yeah. got to say, we're not allowed to do X, Y and Z because it could trigger people. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that, what, what you just said then is fucking triggering more people. Yeah, you're making me annoyed at the fact. Yeah, exactly. You're implying that there's people that soft around here that I'd, yeah. you know, if I use the wrong gender pronouns or some shit like that. Z's going to get mate. upset, you know. Everyone yeah. joined the army. Well, most of the boys joined the army because they wanted to be fucking hard. Yeah. And That's now it. it's like, well, when you join the army, you're hard. But when, as soon as you're a veteran, you're soft and broken and fucked. Exactly. And everybody's got to no. be nice to you. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, but it's that. Uh, yeah, so just keep cut. So obviously, you got an MG with the Brits. I need to hear the fucking story, mate. And I think everyone wants to listen. Oh, the young boys want to hear it, mate. Hold on. Because so uh, we had. I, I don't know. Like, and this is God's honest truth. All right. I don't know exactly what it was for because a lot happened in the day. So initially, we were. We were working out of a patrol base called Patrol Base Inc. And we set it up. It was north of Sangin, D.C., more or less between Sangin, D.C. and Kajaki. And we were the most northern sort of force at the time. And it was maybe six or seven of us in the omelette team and about 90-something A&A. And our job was like forward of us was literally the Helmand River and just thousands of acres of poppy fields. So that not all. So straight out the direct front to our right was Kajaki Dam, ways up the road. And down south was Sangin DC, which was, if you go back and have a look at it back in 2006, and you can see them on YouTube, it was when the Paras went in, and it was when the British mission went from a reconstruction task force to full-blown war fighting, because the Paras 
fuck, and they dug in and fought hard there. So that was where they set the Sangin District Centre up. So we moved from there up the road. Um, a young lad, his parents are actually here in November. They come over from England to visit. Um, a young lad by the name of Nathan, uh, Nathan Downs was killed in a, an IED strike on the way up there. So it was very, you know, we, you know, there was a lot to do up there after that. You know, like it was, you know, I, I didn't know. I'd met him for probably three three months or something. I was a good kid, only 19, you know. Didn't shave or anything. It looked like he was, you know, the work experience kid. Good, good kid. So we set up the patrol base. We, we dug in, you know, we literally had nothing. Like we went down to to a place called Fob Robinson, which was south again of Sangin DC. And we just went on the steel. We stole sandbags. I don't know if you've ever seen a British pins gear. It's basically an open truck top, open top truck. So there was, it was empty and I just filled it with everything I could. Was <laughs> 19 Regiment was the artillery battery firing at Fob Robinson and they were in the middle of a fire and a mission. And I basically dismantled their smoko area, took all their magazines, their tables, their chairs, unscrewed their toilet lid off their toilet and took their toilet lid with us because we didn't, you know, we were shitting in a box. You know, the British rations come in a compo box. So we had two mortar tins either side and then we had a toilet seat on top of it. I've got a photo of it up inside. So we literally built that place from the ground up. And then in the years after, they nicknamed it FOB Incoming. So, or PB Incoming, so as opposed to PB Incoming. But one day we got a job, um, one of the other, they were there in a brigade force. So it's Grenadier Guards, uh, 1st Battalion of Royal Anglians. I think these guys nicknamed the Woofers. I can't remember their fools, the Woofershire or something like that. They're a rifles regiment. So they were the other two two battalions in the brigade. There was a company of Royal Anglians going to push up and clear between the Route 611, which was the road directly out the front, the patrol base Inkerman, and the river, the uh, Helmand River. So they're going to clear that corridor. So they pushed us forward um, and we set up, like a, well, you know, we just called it a block, but it's, it was a deliberate ambush. And we were just going to clean whatever they pushed through the killing ground of our front. So what we didn't realise that had come, you know, it come down later that we'd had a really big, stoush out in the green zone about a month before and we'd killed I think we'd killed one of the sons of the local Musakala Taliban leader and he was obviously really upset about it so he just sent the hordes over the hill towards us and we didn't realise until I think it was maybe a week or so later or it might have been three days into it that there was more like 150, 200 of these guys wandering around out to our front we had no idea about it so what had happened it was hot as balls so as the Anglicans were pushing up, they started taking... It's like I'm talking like up into the 50s. It was fucking cracking up. So as they were pushing up, they started taking a few heat casualties and their movement slowed, obviously, to get guys out. And they just slowed down so that they wouldn't have guys dropping. And what had happened is we were sitting in our block and they'd, whatever they'd found, whatever reconnaissance they'd done, they'd had movement out to their front and they were withdrawing towards our position. And they'd basically come over the radio, you to push out of your block and there's a wadi that we want you to clear about 600 metres to your front. And I was just like, as soon as I heard on the radio, I was just fucking made the hair stand up in the back of my neck and I was just like, oh, fuck, I don't like this. I had a really, really bad feeling about this. And I was like, righto. So another mate of mine, Stuart Perry, he was a, he's a lance jack. And him and I were moving with the forward squad to the a and who we were mentoring. And we got about maybe 60 or 70 metres from the tree line that was adjacent to Wadi and just the whole fucking tree line lit up like, from as far as I could see to the left, as far as I could see to the right, just fucking started blazing away and there's poppies exploding everywhere and people diving on the fucking ground and and the noise was just fucking crazy. You could just hear, it was so fucking loud. You could hear all the zip, zip, whiz, whiz and the dirt kicking up in front of your face and 
at the time, Stuart was like slight right of my position and I could see him. And as I looked over, I could see him face down in the dirt with his ass up in the air. And I thought, oh, fucking hell, you know, like, you know, fuck. So I'd met his girlfriend and everything before we'd went over. And I, my heart sunk. I thought he'd been fucking killed. I'm screaming at him through his SPR. Fucking, mate, are you all right? Fucking answer me back. Are you all right? And I couldn't fucking move. And the A&A was stuck. They just fucking hauled ass out of there. Fucking left the two of us on our own. And um, also one bloke shot through the throat. He didn't go fucking anywhere. But Stu stayed there. And then I seen his leg move. I thought, oh, fuck, I can't. I've got to get over there now. So I got up and I probably ran from me to that fan. And I was like, I am not fucking getting up again. Because that was fucking dumb, dumb. That was, this is literally fight through on your gut stuff at the moment. So I crawled over to him. And what had happened, he was carrying a minimoy. And he'd put all the ammunition in his day pack. And as he dove onto the ground, his pack had gone up over his head and fucking pinned him literally face first in the dirt. And I was like, are you all right, mate? I've been ringing you on the radio. And he looked up, he's got dirt all in his teeth. He's like, I can't get to me peak. Like his pusher switch. I was like, and I was like, oh, fuck, mate, this is hilarious. I wish I had a camera, you know. Like, cause his dirt teeth are all fucking covered in dirt. So I said, drop your bag, you know, fucking I'll get your bag out or whether whatever it was. I said, we need to, we've got to get the fuck out of here. Like, well, we're gonna, this is where we're going to die. So by then, the, the rest of the omelette had got in behind us and started punching back into the tree line. And as soon as we heard, we're like, fuck, are they, they're trying to shoot us, are they? You know, but we could see them up on the wall behind us. So they, we started pepper potting back and we got into sort of right in front of a wall that we needed to get around the corner. And there was a little ditch. And we we're laying in this little ditch and it was a piss ditch. It fucking stunk, but who cared? And I said to him, I said, mate, on three, fuck this. Let's just get up and get around this corner. And we both turned and both stood up and both of us slipped on the mud. As true as I'm standing, both of us slipped and fell at the same time. And as soon as we fell, the whole wall in front of us lit up with machine gun fire and RPGs hit the wall. And I just was like, man, like that's fucking eight. We're, that's one gone. We're down, <laughs> we're down to fucking eight now, like... So we got around the corner, we got out of there and we withdrew and we called in the 2,000 pound JDAM onto that position and fucking like, leveled the position. So we pushed back through again like, as a follow up. I was like, well, we're committed now. Like, let's go and see what, you know, we can find a blood trail, which we did. And then we followed in and got pinned in a little alleyway between, between two, two compounds and we could see where the ambush was coming from and we had a and A, the other side of one compound, the compound us pinned in the hall in the little alleyway, another compound, the A and A on the other side. Right, and and just for everyone, like these compounds, they're mud brick, like yeah. they're koalas, like, yeah, they're like big, two big foot thick yeah. mud, and and what ten foot tall. Oh yeah, 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 massive, massive big compound. So we were kind of spread out a little bit, and but we had enough A and A with us that if we wanted to do something about it, we could coordinate some fire going down from the, the adjacent to us, sort of not perpendicular but adjacent to us to get us close to the ambush position, the, the next ambush position. So we didn't really know what to do. We saw, everyone called us in and said, oh, you know, this is what's going on. That, our only captain is a Royal Tank cap, Regiment captain, Phil Herms, great fella, really nice fella. And as he actually called us all and he goes, righto, this is what's gonna go on. The ambush position is around here and everyone peeks around the corner and you can see the muzzle flashes and the dirt kicking up and goes, I'm gonna to speak to the interpreter, the A&A commander, and, you know, we're going to assault that position with fire support. However, the A&A are not going to do it without an omelette presence. It's like, oh, fucking great. You know? <laughs> like, this is going to be, this is a great day. This is meant to be a six-hour job. We were only meant to be in that blocking position for six hours. I took two muesli bars and four litres of water with me. And this is now, and we were in that block by four in the morning, and this is now getting close to lunchtime. So our six hours is fucking gone. We're like, we're committed now. 
And um, so he calls us in, he goes, righto, I'm, I'm the omelet commander, I can't go. Steve Ross can't go, he was a great fella. Um, he's a sniper, he can't go. But little Barney, we had two Barneys, we had a, a big Barney who was our, our SIG. Big Barney can't go, he's a signaler. Little Barney can't go, he's the medic. Stu Perry can't go, he's a machine gunner. And <laughs> you fucking lie, him. The lone. <laughs> the, the Aussie said the, the colonial thing. <laughs> the lone Australian, right? And I, I, I looked at him and I said, fucking great. I said, this is Gallipoli all over again. <laughs> and he was quite send the convict. What did I say? I'm just, I'm just fucking with you, Phil. This is good to go. And I grabbed the interpreter and away we went. And we, we covered, you know, what seemed to be like a thousand kilometres of open ground to get into the, the aqueduct or the irrigation ditch, whatever you want to call it, to get in there. And then they started firing on the front wall to suppress and then we got right up on the other side and it's like, there's no way we can, because I was carrying a 51mm uh, mortar. So it's like, oh, you know, how am I going to breach this door to get us in? So I more or less got, I grabbed a claymore that I was carrying and I got the A&A to just fire indiscriminately through the windows and everything. I think I, from the ditch to the door was probably from about me, the roller door, so, you know, five, six metres away, blasting cap assembly, you know, 19 metres or whatever it was. I'm crunching all these numbers in my head and I half-hitched the blasting cap assembly onto the claymore and walked up and sort of like sat the claymore like in this, jimmied it into this little door handle and crawled back out and got everyone down and <laughs> clapped the cotton, blew the fucking door off, blew the fucking architraves off there, blew a huge hole in the side of the wall and it's like, fucking get in there, fellas. And the A&A, &A, they just fucking charged in, cleared the whole room. By the time we all got in there, it's just fucking burst eardrums and popped eyeballs and, you know, and they've done a great job. So, and that was about lunchtime. So we got that sorted and then we'd got something come over that I think, I can't remember if it was ICOM chatter or the A&A &A spotted something, but it was later on that afternoon, we were pushing back, we were literally going down to the river. We were trying to find clean drinking water. We were all out of water, you know, everyone's thirsty. We were running, we were really low on ammunition at that stage as well. So we got down to the river and all hell bloke loose down on the river again. And we were really low on ammunition. We hadn't married up at that stage with the Royal Anglians. I was still running late. And, you know, through no fault of their own, it's just, that's Afghanistan, you know, it's, it's a cluster fucking good day. And um, so we got down, we ended up pinned down there and we were real it was a real unfortunate set of circumstances because we were backed onto the river which was okay because everyone was thirsty and we needed a drink so it was literally what's more dirty afghanistan water or afghanistan water filtered through my sock so i took my sock off and started pouring water through my cups canine through my sock and it was fucking mank but i was thirsty and i needed water so that's what that's what we did we just filtered it whatever we could and got fucking two or three manky water bottles full of water. And we were pinned on the river and um, we couldn't get any fire support that night because we'd separated from five or six A and A. We didn't know where they were. Because as we got pinned on that river, we were walking to a Marriott point where we were attempting to marry up with the Royal Anglers. We got ambushed from the rear. So why the forward section and A and A that myself and Steve Ross were working, walking with at the rear ended up getting turned around in an old fashioned, you know, attack from the rear. So, and what had happened was very, very tragically, the actual Afghan commander was took a full RPG airburst in the in the head and was really, really badly injured. And he got lost and we couldn't find him. And um, so I ran. I got down. I took a medic with me, Alistair Barnett, down. So we need to get down here, mate. Set up a CCP. I've got to go and try and find this bloke. So I grabbed a couple of A and A. It's like three of us went out. And as soon as we walked out, we started getting fucking blown up and shot at again. And it's like we can't obviously leave this guy here. We got to find him. So. We skipped around for about you know, 15 or 20 minutes. We ended up locating him and he, 
is in a really, really bad way. It was, you know, it would have been very optimistic to say that, you know, the guy's going to live, you know, in a vegetated state, let alone live at all. He's really, really badly hurt. So it's like we'll do the best we can. I just crate bandage what was left at the top of his head together and myself and the other A&A bloke is just like, mate, get them other two blokes to start shooting that way and we've got to fucking run because we can't leave this fella here, you know, like he's going to end up a YouTube video, you know what they're like. So, and then that was basically, you know, I've re I read different bits and pieces in papers about what it was for, but that was just the first day. We ended up going out on a six hour job and coming back at the end of the fifth day. <laughs> That's no, no word of a lie. You know, I, I hope some of my pommy mates watch this and, you know, I've got you know, the two letters on that fridge down there. They're from a mate of mine, Steve Ross. That's him in the photo up there. So, you know, and he was one of them, you know, and he's just brilliant. You know, he was out there the whole time as well and just a real calming influence. He'd been around that battalion for years and, you know, so, yeah. But, you know, that, you know, as I said, I, the, when you go down and you get an investiture done or whatever, <laughs> get an investiture done, the, you know, a lot of other people had these had these great big things read out, and I didn't have that. I just had, you know, I was being awarded the medal for gallantry for actions in hazardous circumstances. That's literally what it said. So it never really give me a good gauge. And then I think it was I was on sub one for corporal, I sub one for sergeant in Canungra, and I got a letter sent over to me from the Grenadier Guards. I was with Quirky, and it was basically Coco or Hager. No, Coco, uh, Coco big yeah. Coco. We were on the same sub one, and I was posted down to Singleton. And I had no idea this was even going on. And it was a letter come from the chain of command just saying, hey, mate, I just want to let you know that we've, we've been asked this and we've passed this information on. And I've, I think what they wrote in the citation without being disrespectful to you blokes, I've given it to four people to read. I think I, excluding my dad, I think Quirky read it. Um, and two of my other mates that I joined with have read it. And I'm like, oh, I don't really want people to necessarily see that, you know, they could, People see stuff written like that and they start getting, you know, it's a real Hollywood type of thing. And I don't want that. I'm just happy with my citation that says, you know, fucking hazardous circumstances, you know, what that that's good enough for me. So it's just WH, standard WHS for a bloody job, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's just, you know, it's just like a timing, fellas, six hours, what's going on here? You know? <laughs> but it was, you know, and it was, as I said, you could look on it, you could take away all the negatives out of it. You know, we had, you know, A and A got a fucking towel on while they were out there. You know, ended up we ended up marrying up with the, the Royal Anglins, but by the time you know they got there, there was a lot of shooting done. You know, by the time they got there, we were, well, I think we'd had two MO resupplies done by then, and you know we'd, we were out of water, and you know we married up. And God love you know they got there, they battled their way down through. You know, most of the time where we were, we were fighting. You know, in the green zone, you got trees. We we tried to pick the area that we were going to fight on as best we could. Because you know, just most of the occasions with them, you can't. You just fight them where they hit you, and you know, and it's one of those. You know, Yourself, you know, they, they have that come on where they hit you and draw you in, and then next minute you've got people on your sides, and it happened, you know, three or four times the first day, and then again in the days after. So, yeah, I, I said, mate, if I could give you the one thing that happened, I, I can't really do it. It was just a real, real busy first day. Like, you know, <laughs> as I said, I, we walked out, we're sitting there, it was like 3 30 in the morning. I was sitting, I was pretty sure it was Stuart Perry sitting next to him, and he's like, Oh, how you going? I'm like, just fucking, I don't know. Even from before I stepped foot out that gate, I was like, I don't know. I'm not sure, you know. Fucking, I, you know, I'm keen to go out and go stay. I don't, you know, all of us, it's too hot to be walking around out there. Fuck that, you know. Even <laughs> while we're in the base, we would be having lunch. We'd be like, yeah, fuck, check the thermometer. I mean, it's 45 or 60, too hot. They won't attack today. Sure enough, 
drops down in the low 40s, about 230. You could set the clock by it. They'd roll in out the front and have a bit of a poke around and a bit of a probe of the position and give us something to do to the day and jump on and have a year <laughs> shoot the 50 cal and a few 84s and a GMG off the roof to see if you could hit anything, start a few fires and the crops out the front. But, you know, it's it was just one of those things, you know, you walked out and I don't know, I just had a weird feeling about it from the minute that I walked out the gate that morning and, you know, obviously it turned out all right, I'm coming home, but, you know, I've got, I've got a water bottle with a hole shot through it. I've got a backpack that I was wearing that day with holes shot through it. You know, I've got one, I don't even know where the backpack is, I think it's in my walk-in wardrobe, but I've got one, so the, the British day pack where I was laying down and I think it's literally just gone straight through the top, straight through the bottom. So, you know, and I think Pez had the goggle shot off the top of his helmet. So there was, you know, a lot of close calls and you met Tosh before? Yeah, Tommy, yeah, yeah. So, you know, Tosh just happened to be one day we were, you know, we were all working through the night, you know, we used to run our own pick during the night. So myself and Stu went into the room to have a sleep and Tosh was coming in to have, he goes, oh mate, I'm just going to go outside and have a fuck around here, whatever he was going to do for the time being. He wasn't in the room and we'd literally laid down for about five minutes and an SPG nine round hit the wall directly outside where we're sleeping. But where it positioned on the, on our room was the top, very top left-hand corner. So it, Stu was sleeping in the corner, so as it went over the top of his head, burst his eardrum as it went over his head, and the frag went down that wall and literally shredded Tosh's bed to pieces. So if he had been in there, he would have went to sleep and not woke up. But the thing that happened was before they fired that SPG-9 round, they fired a heap of RPGs first. So the RPGs stumped into the wall out the front. We all kind of set up, what the fuck's going on? And this boom, this dust fucking explodes in the corner of the room. The fuck? there's all hot shards of metal flying around the room we all get outside I come back in and Pez is crawling out through the dirt we get outside man the roof man the guns the, had a couple of Wimmicks with, that were just high enough for the 50 cals to poach, punch over the walls and we were out there for maybe two and a half hours so then by then the dust had all settled and we come back in the room mate and it was terrifying I looked at my my, my mozzie net so it was laying like parallel to the wall where it come through and I'm sort of looking through and there's I had my pillow, and then there was a hole in my mozzie net. I'm like, what the fuck, you know? I don't know where it is, I think it, where have I got it? Right there. That piece of frag, grab that The little piece of the thumb, the little solid bit. Yep, that one. That, that went through my mozzie net, through my pillow, and was wedged in the wall where my head was. So the more I thought about it, I was like, if the order of fire was changed, and they fired the SPG-9 round first, as opposed to those RPGs to wake everyone up, that comes through the wall while I'm laying down in bed. So get my head taken off before I even get, you know. And that, that played on me for a fucking long time. I was like, solely for the fact that that order of, you know, my orders for opening fire were RPGs first and then the SPG-9, if it had been vice versa. Knows. That is a fucking that is a that is a phenomenal story. Yeah, man. man. And same as Tosh. If Tosh had gone, hey, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna have my sleep now, and I'll do whatever I'm doing later. He'd he'd have been. I, I kid you. He'd have been blown to pieces. Like literally, the frag that come down that wall. You know, you know how hard those compound walls are. They're this thick. It had grooves where you could put your hand in, so it had gone through the wall, tore the wall to pieces, tore Tosh's stretch of bed. It was just a. It was basically on fire when we got back into the room afterwards. You know, only for the things that are mud. If it had been a, you know, a wall like this, the whole place would have burnt down, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was just like, you know, but, you know, that's luck. How many blokes have been missed by this far? Or, you know, if you look at your engineers, how many engineers have 
you know, had had lucky things with IEDs and stuff like that. They might have walked over one. You know, a couple of two RR blokes that I know stepped on the pressure plate, poof, and all that happened was the puff of dust went up. It didn't ignite Just the main charge. yeah. And there was five or six blokes standing around that main charge, and it was a big main charge, 30, 40 kilos, and, you know, homemade explosive. So, you know, look, there's going to be luck stories for everyone, and you just hope that you fucking get one. Or in some of our cases, you get fucking multiple. So, because you're going to need them. So, but, yeah, that, that's basically it, mate. That is a phenomenal... <laughs> that's basically it, yeah. Mate, I, I fucking appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. That is a phenomenal yeah. story, and it's just... Yeah, it's a testament, mate, to, to someone who's who's done that, and it's 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 not diminishing at all. But it's like um, you hear a lot of stories, yeah. not not to that level. But I, but I'm not joking, and I can show you the photos. We had a tick wall, right? So every time something happened, we had a tick wall. We wrote it down. This type of shit there happened every day, and I'm talking like every day something went on. We'd go out patrol, bumped on patrol, base attacked, you know, like. And the, the weird thing is when when Tosh moved over here. He obviously, guys knew his lateral transfer and come over. And I, and I, one of the first things that I said to him, I was like, mate, you have to be real careful. I said, because everything you've been through, people are not going to want to hear about it. Not out of disrespect, but it's going to be pure professional jealousy. Yeah. Mm. Because you're coming here as this ex-colour sergeant or ex-warrant officer from the British Army. You've been, you've bumped back to sergeants, most lats do. This is a bloke that, you know, I'm a mortem, showed me how to fly, fly a javelin missile. You know, like, this is a bloke that fired 30 odd javelin missiles at actual targets, like boom, fired them out there, you know. So, this is a guy that's come from an anti armor background, fired literally millions of pounds worth of ordnance on an operation, multiple tours all over the place. He's been in this, and then I think he got here in the March when he first, March when he first got here, it was a week after my birthday. And I don't think it was until people seen me on Anzac Day at the Boozer. Like, and I was like, Tosh, here's his first Anzac day, mate. We were excited as hell. <laughs> it was ridiculous. So people were like, oh, how do you know Tosh? I said, I was in the omelet with him in, with the Grenadier Guards. And they started putting together who this bloke was. And then the diggers were like, holy shit, you know what? We worked out who this guy is now. And when people, and so I said to him, I was like, mate, you won't see it straight away. But as soon as people start putting the pieces together and start working out who you are, you will have the professional jealousy come at you from a mile, you know, this is a bloke that had to get his javelin qualifications RPL'd over here. And he's banged 30 javelins in, in, one, in, one, <laughs> in one trip and he's done two or three. You know, like, it's it's ridiculous, you know. And as I said, that, you know, that, that's how it is. You've got to get him RPL'd, but, the, you know, geez, if you just know, mate, what did you do in the army? You know, so it fell. Blew the shit out of half of Dubai, you know. Like, there's, like, some, there's some Brits now that lateraled over like, um, Diamond and some of those boys that got stuck... Uh, they get an evac by jingle trucks out of, he's in the docker, and it's just some phenomenal yeah. story. Well, you watch the story of the, it's, I think it's a book, the Royal Marines that flew in on the Apaches on the wings to get the guys out that yeah. were left behind. Unbelievable. And that was a that was a suggestion made by a couple of the equivalent ORs section commanders. Well, look, we're fucking doing that. And I'm pretty sure it was one of the equivalent CSMs or RSM said, get those boys out there and strap them on the fucking wings right now. Mm-hmm. And the way that went. So... And that's that's just how it was. It was like we've got to, we have to get this done. There's no if, buts, or maybe's about it. We've we've got to get this done, and you just you may do with what you have. You know? So we had no bushmasters, or we basically cruised up and down what's called Route Six One One, which is literally the most dangerous road in Afghanistan at the time, probably still is, in Wolf Wimmick Rovers, mate. With some of them had a steel plate underneath. 
for sheer psychological reasons, mine had nothing. Mine was basically just a Rover with a 50 cal on the top and the, the, the driver, the commander, and he had a pindle-mounted jimpy. And just to make me feel a bit better, I put a layer of sandbags in the bottom of mine. It was going to do fucking nothing. Just psychologically. <laughs> yeah. That's all it was. I was like, I just, you know, I've got to do something. I've, instead of freaking out and driving we up. Had, uh, we had 23 Bushmaster strikes on it. 23? Yeah. Dead, dead, yeah in, in the started, bushy graveyard. Yeah. Mate, they got to the end when we were from Marshall to Chora, we had to get to get home on the last day out there. And they're like, no, we've got no bushes left to send you. Got, there's, there's too many IDs, IDs out there yeah. on the road. And we've only got like 10 left or whatever. You keep blowing You've got to walk. Like, ah, oh, so bushies are worth more than yeah, bushies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know where my priorities are. Yeah. The armored eagles are worth more than the diggers. Yeah. Mate, right. that Bravo company coming in intense uh, at TK. Was it Bravo? Who was a Rio yeah. company? Yeah, six platoon. Six platoon. And then where, where, so you walk out of these tents, aircon tents, and you walk out, and then like, Along that fucking line was 23 destroyed bushes yeah, in the graveyard. Oh, yeah. Welcome to Afghanistan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just ignore yeah. those. They're just, <laughs> and then, you know, people are trying to put covers over them and you're like, man, mate. When we come out, I, do, I got, because I wasn't meant to be there. So I got busted and had to come home. So they yanked me out pretty quick. And I was, I was actually getting taken out. I was going back to plead my case back at the town headquarters to be left there to finish the trip. But, but you know, the powers are much higher. They've made that decision already. So... I'd got, we went out a shave or a haircut or anything for like nearly five months and these great big beards and all this wild hair. So we, me, and it was actually, Pez got crooky, they thought he had meningitis. So he'd got Kazavacked out a couple of days before I got yanked out and he was on the mend when I got there and he was going, they'd brought jig, rejigged his R&R for him to go home on the same flight as me. Or he might've went on the day before me actually, but we were sitting in, you know, and it, se- it seems like a lifetime away, you know, when you head out to an FOB or a patrol base and you leave your esh bag and your trunk and, your nice little tidy, non-dirty, filthy human area, and you go out and live like an animal for like with a whole heap of other animals for however long. You come back and everything was all neat and not. I was like, "Jeez, this is all right," you know. Stink, you know, rotten clothes, smell like death. And there was a couple of same again. There's a couple of young lads that were coming in, and Pez and I were coming out, and he hadn't had shaved yet, and we were we'd lost maybe ten or twelve kilos each, fucking shredded. You know, was <laughs> but um, they're like, oh. Yeah, how is it out there? And like, oh, where are you going? Oh, they're, we're heading up. They're going to push us up to Sangin DC and we're going out from there. And I just kind of looked at him and I was just like, be careful, fellas. <laughs> be careful. And they kind of like, and they were so excited and I didn't want to rain on that on them. I'm like, you know, you probably waited your whole military career to get here. And I've just flown in here, told 15 <laughs> lies and got, got, got myself on a plane and just rolled into another country's army's operation. And, I've had a way over time for the last five months or whatever it's been. So I didn't want to raid on their parade. And I was like, you know what, just, you know, you'll get, pl- there'll be plenty to do. You're not missing out. <laughs> you're no, one's kill- no one's killed them all yet. There's still plenty there for you. <laughs> so keep calm down there, you know, like, and then they're like, and one, I can't remember his name. I'm, I'm still mates with him on Facebook now. He actually looked at Pez and he goes, guess Jews it as bad up there as what they say. And he was just like, he'd been crook and in a bad mood. And I blame He's like, Mate, it's probably worse than what you've been told. And that kind of... But I was like, oh, man, you shouldn't have said, you know, like... But, you know, in a way, you kind of need to know. You don't go up there with this big grin on your face expecting to walk out, hide behind a rock, and the Taliban are going to get an extended line and just walk there and you just to get to shoot fish in a barrel. It doesn't work like that. You've got to get out there and you can work for everyone that you put down and it's going to cost you a lot of a lot of walk miles and a, and a lot of sweat, you know, and, and, you know, friendly blood in some cases. So, you know... Yeah, you get, the, get them come in. As I said, it was much the same as those boats. They're probably like, 
Oh, jeez. You know? But that's the, that's the kicker too. Like, I don't I don't remember getting fucking I don't being absconded and sent on a plane to Afghan and not now I'm like I don't want to be in Afghan. Yeah. Everyone wanted, wanted to go, to go man. Everyone yeah. 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 You know the consequences. Yeah. 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 They were lining up, mate. If oh yeah, you you take your mate's spot in the blink of an eyelid if you yeah. could. You were thinking, oh geez, I hope someone goes DUI this week. I'm yeah. Like, I'm next <laughs> on the Rio list. Did someone punch someone or someone? You know. And, and this is what and this is what's frustrating me is that yeah. people are proud of their service and going overseas and. And, and Afghan was a fucking shit of a place and I don't care about the political reason why we're no. there but there's they're not allowed to, the chicks aren't allowed to vote they're not allowed to speak in public yeah. they get stoned to death that's what I anchored on to mate yeah, I'm man. like I'm like I don't give a fuck about the political space I don't care they're shit fucking people yeah. mate like you got people over them. there that think it's okay to rape little boys yep flog your wife around I got two daughters you know little little girls can't go to school you know I got a you know my daughter Millie she's going to be seven in in well, less than two weeks, she's seven. She's two years away from being married as a girl That's in Afghanistan. It. You know, so you go over there, and if and I've said to a few people, like, "Oh, is it really worth it all?" I went, "Well, you know, if, if we go over there and you spend six, seven, eight months away from your family, and you, you, you know, you get dusted up a little bit, and you know, well, you know, without disrespect to the lads that were killed and come back with injuries as well, but if you go over there, and in my mind, you you prevent one seven-year-old girl." Getting married off to, the, to to her thirty year old cousin, or well, I reckon it's fucking worth yeah. it. Yeah, or they get to go to school, or you know, and as simple as it is, I, I used to take three or four pens. I, I used to get boxes of pens sent over, and I would take just a hand, you know, because I hand lollies and stuff out. So well, the lolly's gone in thirty or forty seconds. It's a fucking pen, mate. That's it. You know, take Calum. a pen. Calum, calum, Which is pen, what, pen for Afghan, isn't pen, it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's why I take paper, a dozen mate. pens in your pocket. And it's, it's one of the greatest things in the world because most of them can't write. But the next day you might come back and there might be a fucking drawing put in your hand. I think I've still got a drawing that a kid gave me, you know, hand the pen out and he's a drawing with a little stick man holding the hand of a kid. And I kept it for years. And I'll, I'll, I'll never fucking throw it away, you know. So, and it's just it's things like that. You're damn right it's fucking worth it. It's, and it's got to be worth it. And as you said, it's things that you hang on to so you don't sit back and go, man, fuck Because your pride's keeping these boys, like, it's pride of the job yeah. and... This is what's annoying me about the, the, the space at the moment. If, if people keep whinging and they lose the pride of being a veteran, you're going to have a whole lot more people yeah. hanging from fucking ceiling fans. Yeah. When they lose the pride and they're like... When when society does a 180, if they do decide to go, hey, these people are starting to get on my nerves now, how's it going to be then where they're like, ooh, everyone hates us now and, you know, I'm in a bad space mentally and everyone hates me now. So I hope, I hope I genuinely hope that doesn't happen. But it, it would not surprise me if in 5, 10, 15 years there's a... That's why I'm conscious about it. And that's yeah. why I'm just like, it's got to be proactive. You have to move forward yeah. and deal with your shit. And, and if you can't, there's people that can count. You've taken how many countless phone calls at two yeah. in the morning? Yeah. You've been on sorties finding yeah, people at exactly. two in the morning. So you, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, exactly. you have like finding people at two yeah. in the morning. Mate. And that, that's the thing, you, you know, you want to be not just seen to be doing the right thing or seen to be doing positive stuff. You want to be doing it because you genuinely care. You don't, you're not just doing it for show. And I think there's a lot of stuff out there that's just for show. You know, and what well, I don't know what your opinion is. I I know a lot of blokes that are right into Team Rubicon, and I think that's magnificent. You know, got, you know, using your skills like whether you, you know, a lot of the I know a lot of the cooks. There's a lot of cooks up here have gone down there cooking food for people. You know, if anyone can bang together a feed for 150 people with a jar of flour and a can of baked beans, it's an army cook. You know, so you know, it, it, good for them. I, I think I think that's a great thing. You know, Team Rubicon. It's getting army people or military people back together 
you're going out, whether you're going out and doing some fencing on someone's farm, you know, you, you might have joined the army with a bit of a farming background. You know, I was a shearer before I joined the army. I'm not ever going to shear another sheep in my life. No, don't ring me to ask me to shear your sheep. I'm saying, fuck off. My handpiece is mounted on the wall over there and it's not coming down. So, but you know, there's guys out there that absolutely love it. And I've got mates that are, that are really committed to it and fucking good for them. They're not sitting at home on the piss. They're not waiting at to ten o'clock for the local pubs. Purpose, open. purpose. Everything exactly. Fun. We can make. Yep. That's all about purpose. Yep. And, like and that's the big word that I love about it's purpose for guys and you know and unity. Yeah. You, you're not necessarily. I know for a lot of us, we you know the, the infantry circle is very tight and it always has been. But you know, I'm not opposed to opening the circle and letting other people in. But it's got to be like-minded people that want to have purpose, want to have accountability, and want to have good habits. You know, and that, that's the other thing, habits. What are your habits during the day? Oh, you know, get out of bed at 10. I play PlayStation or whatever, or two in the morning, I get out of bed at 10 and fucking I don't really eat that healthy for breakfast and fuck around during the day and then watch TV for nighttime repeat. Man, your life expectancy is plummeting as you just told yeah. me that. You know, not necessarily meaning that you're going to die in the next four, but what is your life? You, you don't have that's an expectant it. life, you know. You, so, and that's, you know, I didn't hold off from being involved with Swiss Aid, it wasn't something like, oh, I don't know about this. I love the concept from the minute you spoke to me about it. It's like, this is something that really resonates with me because it's the, you know, it, it's, as you said, it's focused on everyone with a combat veteran sort of like centered, centered around. Perfect, That that's already won me over. And then when you chuck in the lifestyle component to it, that the habits, the routine, the accountability, you know, the willing to, the willingness to, to you know, to, to test your stresses, to not, to, to stay and not go stagnant and sedentary in what you're doing so I never stayed away from it because I didn't I was like oh, you know I've I got a mouth man and, <laughs> and I, with my mouth I don't have a filter and I don't I literally don't care who I piss off I mean if I piss someone off and you got a problem with it mate I'm an easy easy man to find and I'm always up for a conversation and a debate about whatever you want to talk about but you want to attack me via email or text message or phone call or whatever you know I got when I went about the, the death iconology stuff, I got like maybe nine phone calls from no ID numbers of people serving in the army telling me, you need to shut your mouth, mate, and hanging up before I could even say anything. Wow. And I posted about it on Facebook and a mate of mine down the camera is spooked now. He's like, tell me all about it. Go in and do this and do that. And he's like, oh, I'll, find, I'll find out who they are for you. I was like, ah. <laughs> So, you know, and, and that's what it was. I'm like, you know, if you, if you want to attack me or, or have a go at my opinions or, or what I'm saying, then that's fine. You're allowed to do that. You're allowed to ring me and call me for every name under the sun and hang up like a fucking coward. You know, you're a piece of shit, mate. You're not in the army, mate. Shut your fucking mouth or I'll shut it for you. Mate, fucking ring, ring me back and I'll give you my address and I'll pay for your fucking airfare up here. You know, can't come and shut my mouth for me. <laughs> I mean, there's boys there. Like, there's some boys that we know that... that, that we were like, oh, do we? Are we going to do this squeaky clean? Like, I mean, the charity is is, uh, oh, what's the word for it? Like, it's it's a proper registered charity, yeah. it, but it's for boys who are it's with grants. PC. It's not. It's not. For, say PC. Say, like, um, it's and that that was my. Do my you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what the bloke saying something. Doing oh, something. Mate, that's being, I remember the first time I spoke to you yeah. on the phone when we were talking about maybe yeah. coming on as an ambassador. Yeah. Like, mate, I'd love to, but yeah. I'll fucking sink your shit real quick. Yeah, I'm that, be honest. I spoke to Max about. It. I was like, I'm, I love, I'm all in on. I love it, and I'll promote it as much as I can. And I don't. I've made it 
fairly fairly known to most people. I don't play with ESOs. But I yeah. think intimate yeah. knowledge beats emotion every time. Yeah. yeah, I mean the problem these days is you're not allowed to speak your mind because yeah. if, if someone disagrees with you, they have to hate you as well yeah. these days. Yeah, you, know, you don't. You're allowed that's, to, that's bullshit. You're allowed. To, you're allowed to disagree. You're allowed to say what they want. Exactly, mate. Let, no. I mean, they're not getting proper like making someone <clears throat> want to go and fucking hurt themselves. No. <clears throat> if you're just like, giving your opinion, yeah, people I mean, are allowed to get upset. The thing was right. I can remember the. The schmozzle that happened, I think it was 18 months, two years ago or whatever it was when, you know, the you watch the show The Voice, right? How the big blowback come with Chrissy on The Voice, yeah. right? I even made an attempt to reach out to a Facebook group that, you know, that she's a part of. So, hey, listen, if there's anything that I can do, if, you know, if the wrong thing's been done here, that's okay. I'm happy to, to help in any way possible. Or if there's been a mix-up, let me know and I'll bomb burst it out. I'm not going to say the name of the group because it's a fucking disgrace, the group. The, the email or the message I got back from this group after I offered to, to reach out and talk to her to see if she was okay or, you know, had she got any fucking hate mail or whatever, like check on her, make sure she was okay. Because the last thing you want to see is like, you know, if she's done the wrong thing, she's done the wrong thing, but you don't want to see anything bad happen to yeah, anyone. Exactly. You don't. I don't no. care who it is. You don't. So I'd be like, you know what? The last thing I want to see is after her getting lit up online, does anything happen? You know, if the wrong thing's done or, you know, some journos fucked her over, well, then let's get that out there. This this group emailed me back basically telling me, you you need to fuck off and mind your own business. We've done our own investigation and there's nothing at fault here and nothing being wrong. And we're, you know, right. That, that'll do with that one then. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I had a, a couple of other girl mates that I'd actually done a few promotion courses with and I knew quite well. And I, I got in contact with them. I said, hey, do you know anything about this blah, 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 blah group? And they're like, why, why are you speaking to them? <laughs> you, know, you know, and it turns out that this group is responsible for quite a bit of shenanigans in the, you know, they're responsible for, you know, what, what I think to be embarrassing our female soldiers and veterans for some of the requests. And, you know, you all know that horrendous song that was, you know, <laughs> I'm not even going to say, you know. Because the... the the, the good women veterans out there and the good women soldiers out there, officers enlisted, they don't, don't need that. They don't give a shit, you know. And I, all my Mate, I had the first female in triple platoon commander yeah. and she hated, yeah. she's like, I just want to be true, like a fucking yeah. soldier and enough. Yeah. And they'd call her up and be like, can you come to Canberra? And she's like, no, because no. does, does he get a fucking go to Canberra and speak to forces commanders? Does yeah. he get, just let it go. Yeah. Just, I'm in the yeah. army. I, I, I spoke to a couple of my my girl mates about it that are in, that one's still serving and one's out, and they were just like horrified. I was like, I, you know, and I, you turn up to a march or something. If one of your girl mates that's in the army turns up to, I don't give a shit how much. I don't care whether you're a girl or a bloke or whether you're yeah. cab or whether you're bloody a cook. I don't care. You, you're obviously a mate of mine because I think you're a good person and you've proven yourself to be, you know. You know, a person of substance and good character. Then yeah, you stand next to me, you just don't get out of step, or keep, or, or keep me in step because I'm a drill spastic. So, but um, yeah, my apologies if I offend anyone with that word. So, but um, you know, <laughs> not but, the rest of them. Yeah, no yeah. But um, yeah, so you know, you, you got stuff like that as well. So, and th- that was just an example. You know, there like contacting that group. I last thing I want to see is something bad happen. You don't want to see that in the news. You know, someone's been found at the end of a rope. But you know, it's just thrown back at you. And I was like, you know what? Line through it. I'm, I'm officially done now. That was the straw that broke the camel's back with that one. I'm not going out of my way to do that anymore. And obviously then this popped up. I was like, yeah, this, this is different. This seems mm. interesting. Who started this group? And then I think Paul was, oh, no, it's not started, but there's none of this and none of that. And I was like, right. 
Tell me more. And Paul's one of the boys has got Paul Warren. If he and he he's been on the podcast before. And he has got, he's one of the boys that would, have, and he said it in his own words, and I quote it, he's like, if anyone has a bone to pick with DVA, it's Paul. And he's like, yeah, it was the system was a bit rough, and yeah. it's coming through and it's getting better. And he yeah. goes, but, yeah. you know, he goes, it was rough, but it's, it's going through changes. Yeah. And he goes, but if you lay down and die and just want money, it ain't changing, your outlook ain't no. changing. No, yeah, not at all. That's it. And I mean, after the story we just heard, the stuff that you went through overseas or did overseas, Waza comes back with fucking one leg. Yeah. If two people who've gone through stuff like that can go, hey, there was some dramas, but I'm not going to let it bog me down. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to try and, and achieve now, more things. And now I work and talk to DVA every second day. And I've, I can't remember having an abrasive conversation. With yeah. I've, I've got mobile phone numbers of some girls that work at Van Brisbane. If you have any dramas, give me a call on this number or email me here. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll help out. You know, I was speaking to a DBA social worker the other day and I was speaking to her about a girl mate of mine I'm helping out and saying, you know, things are going a little bit slow and she's getting a bit anxious about some of her claims. No worries, I'll follow it up for you. And she literally rang me back an hour later. No, everyone's, everything's tracking well. We don't need any more information for it. It's good. It's just a matter of the delegate making a decision. So, yep, yeah, I, I understand that it's, it is a boggy system at times, but listen, you need to take accountability for what you submit, you know. And I, there was a thing that I seen posted online on that DVA webpage tonight. This was literally an hour before you guys got here. And it was someone complaining about not having any word back from claims that they, they submitted in August last year. I was like, right. Well, that doesn't make sense to me, first and foremost, because I submitted the last 15 that I put in for people last year, the last week in November, right? So November, last week, it's December the following week. DVA closed for Christmas holidays like everyone else. It's just gone November. And I found out last week they've all been accepted. And that's from November with Christmas in the middle, middle, all right? So if you've got stuff in from the middle and the beginning of last year and it's still waiting on a determination... That's your own fault. You're advocate shit, you've submitted fucking shit claims, you're a liar, or there's a combination of those four. There's no other reason. If you can find me a fifth, then I'm, I'm all ears to hear it. But that's what's slowing the system down. You're not telling the story, you're not supplying the medical evidence and proof, or it's been done incorrectly, or... DBA's reading your claim about you having 56 contacts and you spent four days in Afghanistan. No. Mm. Exactly. We're, of course exactly. we're going to read, read. They're not, you know, there's enough defence people, ex-defence people working at DBA. I know quite a few of them that I'm, I'm sure a delegate would read something that would be suspicious and go, Oi, you know, hey, Max, have a read of this for me. <laughs> Denied. That definitely didn't happen. You know, so all support supply me some more proof can you supply me some witness statements or something like that that's the stuff that's bogging the system up and making it hard mm. that's why people with genuine PI claims and genuine claims in you know here they are working from the top of the list and your genuine claim good to go is down here you've just got to wait and that, that's what it is so, it. and it's unfortunate and it's not and it's not fair so, and the Royal Commission mate I won't lose sleep either way if it goes ahead or if it doesn't yeah. but a Royal Commission is not going to come back with a finding saying the number one problem is a veteran's attitude adjustment that's never going to come yeah, out. That's it. People don't start owning their own spot. Yeah, exactly, mate. You keep coming along. Accountability, come mate. Accountability. That's what it comes down to. And you've that accountability of number one, making sure that your administration, your evidence, your medical reporting is all good to go. That's it. It's just a can't. You just that's you know, it. What, what, what? How long did? How many times in the army did some smart ass sergeant or instructor go? Attention to detail, mate. Attention to detail. <laughs> you know. Only a virtue that I've ever. Screw had. this up. You're going to do it again. 
only ever issue that I've ever had with any claim with DVA is the claim that I've currently gone through with the VRB and it is to do with wording due to a legis- legislative yeah. Yeah. of wording. Yeah. And went through the VRB, they could see that everything, all my ducks were in a row, they've just said, go back to your specialist, get him to reword it. Yeah. That's it. And your response every, to that every, was not to go home and start mate, blaming everyone. You just go and basically go and get on with it. You, you either whinge it, about it, get the report, or you spend the next twenty years trying to change exactly. the legislation. Exactly. Exactly. Go get the fucking report. Done. <laughs> mate, you know, well, it's not hard. Just the fucking. It's probably word. something simple like that. The the alone clause or something like that. You know, yeah. like if the, the, yeah, you know. it it was it is simple as that. Yeah. Every other claim that I have yeah. ever had from the day I got out has been accepted. Because of A, it was legitimate. B, there was passion in my claim because it came from. It actually is real. Actually, and is you didn't real. have to think about it. Mate. I didn't oh, have to yeah. think about it. Okay. I can repeat it from the top of my head, fucking time, date, like exactly how it happened every time. I fucking got rid of every advocate. Basically, as you said it at the start, I've and got rid of every advocate within three three weeks of having them because they're fucking useless. Uh, and the good ones are all clogged up. up. And just following them up. Yeah. Every week, just following them up. How's my claim going? Where's it at? Can I speak to someone else if that person's on holiday? That person's quit. Okay, where's my fucking... Where's it at now? Yeah. Where's it going? Who's who's got it now? It's accountability of your own stuff. That's it. You know, or if I go fishing, I'm just going to chuck my line in the water and leave it there for six months and come back to have like a, you know, a Spanish mackerel on the end. I'm going to, you know, change that's the it. bait. I'm going to chase it up, you know. That's, that's exactly it's ridiculous. Right. It's just, it's, it's, exactly it's right. fucking lazy, mate. And you know what it is? Oh, I'm not ringing DVO. The, I'm going to be on hold for an hour. What, what, as opposed to interrupting your PlayStation or watching Days of Our Lives or something like that? That's it. Get off. I'm a bit of a Days of Our Lives fan. So put your so. earphones in, put yourself on hold and just lay back on the couch. Ca- if it's at the lay in the aircon and wait to talk to someone. Don't be rude when you talk right. to them. Have some manners, you know? Like, you learn respect and interpersonal skills while you're in the army and, That's it. you know, respect for your peer groups. But automatically when, because you've got a bit... I need to ring Telstra about my account. Exactly. I've got to go on hold. Right. I've got to ring Ergon Energy and about my energy bill. I'm guess what? I'm going to be on hold. You've got to ring DBA. Oh, I can't go on hold with DBA. Well, if you're going to chase your phone bill up, you're going to. So right. that's, you know, it, it's just those three letters piss people off straight away. Yep. And it you know? goes back to what you were saying about exposure therapy. I hated talking to civvy cunts. And it was exposure therapy, mate. Yeah. It was a form of exposure therapy it, talking it to is. DBA, mate. Yeah. And I got used to it, and I fucking and I do it every week now, and I'm helping other blokes. I won't name who they are, but you you guys know who they are. That yeah. I don't, I don't, and I don't care who you are. I, I refuse to believe that if you speak to someone with DVA, have a nice conversation, a bit of a joke with them, man, that helps. Yeah, because they on the other end of it getting. If, if I'm working for DVA and someone rings me up and throws a whole heap of shade at me and calls me a whole heap of names. Zzz- yeah. Or someone rings me up with a nice polite tone. Oh, I just wanted to, oh mate, let me ha- let me check for you. Do you mind if I put you on hold? Which is what happens anyhow. Oh, such and such. Oh, is there anyone else I can talk to? Oh, I'll put you on hold. No, I've got to go on hold again. Oh, well, just sit on your comfy couch in the aircon, man. <laughs> you know, it's it's not it's not a big deal. 
just sit on hold, get the information. At least you know, and then you can go off and be triggered about having to be on hold. You know, and it, and I fail to believe that. You know, it's it's a cop out. Oh, I, I can't ring DVA. I'll end up doing me nut. Well, you're doing you nut at what? The poor person you've never met in your life working on the phone. They might be DVA has a lot of big turnover. You know, that that person that might be second day on the job. And you're blasting piss holes through them. Oh, mate, you couldn't pay me enough to hey, do it. Exactly. No, I wouldn't go. I would have come and I'd be like, is that right? Anyone, anyone yeah. who wants to spend their life blowing up at the absolute DVAs needs to go and work for DVA on the phone yeah. for a week. And they'll be yeah. like, fuck this. And at the end of the day too, like, and, and I say, I actually mentioned this having a jovial conversation with the policewoman the other weekend where she there was a whole evening together. She's going, oh, listen, fellas, I don't mean to fuck you around. It's like, whoa, whoa, just steady there, love. We're all ex-army. We've been fucked around by the best <laughs> So to say that you're ex-military and you're upset about DVA getting you fucked around, I question whether you're military because if you spent long enough in the army, you're a professional you've been, getting you, fucked you're, around. You're <laughs> fully ticked up with your apprenticeship and getting fucked around. So, yeah, I, no, I don't believe it. So. Mate, that was a fucking ripper. Yeah. That was, mate, I just want to – coming on and, and the, the fucking dude you are and, and you are humble and you look after whether they – if they have, if they got a valid point, mate, I've never seen you turn anyone down who no, needed help, whether they were, whoever the fuck they were, mate. And I'm, uh, I'm not gonna. It's I don't think. And I, I had the conversation with my blokes when I come back from Afghanistan, and I always remembered it. I remember because my grandfather's a rudder to Brook, and I, I specifically remember them like years ago. They were talking about it, where particularly the platoon commanders, because my grandfather's platoon commander, he actually is a Forbes bloke as well. So. The platoon commander and platoon sergeant, they when they come back, they were the guys that formed all the local associations and everything like that. And they took, even after these big conflicts were over, they took ownership of these blokes when they come back. And I always said the same thing to my guys. And I, I, I never, ever forgot it. I was always, it always stayed in the back of my mind. It's like, I kind of, you know, I'm not going to run off and mow their lawns every weekend or anything like that. But I, I kind of think that, for as long as I draw breath, I kind of have a bit of a responsibility to these guys to make, you know, these are a lot of guys, you know, we're getting on close to 10 years from the fact now since, you know, the, the 2011 MTF3 trip. So we're 10 blokes that are 10 years older now and you want, you know, the 10 year time frame for things to start, you know, it was always a psych, you know, a psychiatrist, psychology thing that that 10 year time frame was a danger factor. So I always kept in the back of my mind, I was like, you know what, I'm going to keep an eye on specific blokes that I know have been through things. You know, but I'm always gonna make it my job that I, I kind of do feel that I have a responsibility. To these guys, if they do call, if I miss a call, I always try and answer. And I, not a time, so I will never turn my back on you guys. That's I'm not gonna come and mow your lawn or paint your fucking house for you. But if you were genuinely in trouble and need help, then I expect you to ring. And I'll be, I'll be, you know, honestly, I'll be pretty pissed off if I find out you're in trouble or someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I kind of, you know. You, you were quite happy to ring me at three o'clock in the morning when you're in the fucking piss house at, you know, the watch house in Townsville for punching on in town and you need someone to come and get you. You're quite happy to ring me then. And you're quite happy to ring me when you've, you know, you've done something else stupid on the weekend or you've broke your leg motorbike riding when I've told you not to ride a motorbikes at the weekend or f- being a 24-year-old man and falling off a fucking skateboard at a skate park and kids are breaking your arm. More than happy to ring me and tell me that, but you won't ring me and tell me when you're in trouble. So... I've kind of I've laid that down to you know ring me, and yeah, it's leadership in the army and then uh, out of the army. It's it's a duty. It is. And as I said, I always remembered that you know the ownership that those senior members of the specifically the platoons, the platoons that tight function. You know, of sections a little bit tighter, but the platoon you know, where you've got that senior, the senior NCO and a younger platoon commander. I was always like, you know what, I'd 
I've never ever forgotten that, and I and I took it with me when I got out, and it's you know, it's why I, I guess that's why the door keeps getting knocked on, and I don't have a problem with it. You know, I've got a great wife who's like, mm, who is it this time? You know, like I'm like, oh, it's blah blah. Oh yeah, how's he going? Well, he's coming out on Monday or coming out on Tuesday, and that's all I really need to say. And and it's you know, the coming out. You've been out, you know, it's you know, anything could set at my kitchen bench around my computer. It stays there. You know, I don't talk about other people's stuff unless they say, hey, you know. If, you need to use me as an example for something more than happy to use my case as an example. Otherwise, everything's locked down tight. Guys like their privacy. A lot of folks don't like to, other guys to know what's going on in their life unless they want to talk about it, and that's up to them to talk about it. It's not up to me to talk about someone else's business to a group of other people, and I don't do it. And I think that that's the sort of trust that I'm like, I'm really glad that I've built up, that they can come to me, know that it stays to me. The only time I'm going to do anything else is if, you know, as you say, if someone... Is going to say they're going to hurt someone else or hurt himself. Well, then that's out of my hands. That's a you know it's a triple zero job then. So, but other than that, that that's just how it'll be, mate. Mate, you're a fucking legend. No, absolutely. Cheers for coming on, mate. And, As I said, it was nothing personal. I didn't didn't stay away because I didn't like what was going on. It was more for your benefit than than my own. So, <laughs> right. now nah, glad to have you on, man. Hundred percent.